Once upon a time, there was a girl who lived in a tall, tall tower. Oh, yeah! Oh, this is sick! And she lived with her, let me check my notes here, horrendously abusive mother who actually is not her biological mother, but kidnapped her as a child? Now, Rapunzel, dear, you really must learn to not be such a horrible skank. Oh, right. You're right. But one day, a... Well, he wasn't a prince. Wasn't exactly a rogue, necessarily. Rogue-ish. Kind of a scam artist. Randomly shows up in her tower for no particular reason at all. Hey, haha! Now where do I hide this? Die! The young woman asked the roguish gentleman to take her away from the tower to go see lanterns. Lanterns floating in the sky that she thought were stars, but were actually lanterns dedicated to her. But she didn't know that. But still, she was obsessed with those lanterns. I think those lanterns are prayers to me, and I'm a god. You're my first vassal. Now take me there. And from there, shit gets pretty weird. Okay, what the hell is that thing on your shoulder? And why does it keep looking at me so weird? Oh, that? That's Pascal. I think it's a demon. And they both lived traumatically ever after. Fantasy fans, and welcome to Swords and Satire, the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Molkel, here with my hirsute co-hosts. I'm Chelsea Hollowell, a no-good bastard, but, you know, I got a heart of gold. I mean, the heart is the most important part of any person, right? Yeah, most important part of any bastard. You know... <laughs> I'm uh, I'm Jack Olander, and I'm a uh, I'm hair, <laughs> just just hair. I'm um like hair. the concept, or are you a noun? Just lots of it, just lots of anything hair related. Guys, before we get into the episode, we just want to thank our newest patron, Chris Caps, for joining the Swords and Satire family. We really appreciate you coming on board and supporting us. Yeah, dude, you're awesome, and it's it's great to have you as part of the team. Welcome to the Satirists. Yeah. Well, guys, I'm sure you can tell by now that this week we're going to be talking about Disney's Tangled. Now, as we all know, Tangled is a 2010 film starring Mandy Moore and Zachary Levy. Or Levi? Leave. Let's go with Levi. He was Shazam. Oh. Not in this movie. Okay. <laughs> you see, I was totally lost for most of the movie. You guys kept talking about this famous singer. And I was like, I probably know who it is, but I missed that you guys said who it was. And yeah, Mandy Moore. That makes sense. Yes, Mandy Moore, known for her hit song. <laughs> I, I, I only know Mandy Moore from films. So. Yeah, same. And even that, I couldn't tell you another movie she was in. I know I've seen them, but like more in passing in the background. So. Yeah. The important thing is I knew she was a pop singer. <laughs> I seriously have no idea who that is. Mandy Moore. Yeah, I, I know the name. She was Rapunzel in this film. <laughs> That's it. That's all I know. Yep. Known for, let's see, the songs from this movie. Let's just go with that. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> now, I'm sure we'd love to go through Mandy's entire catalog of hit pop songs, question mark, but... We've got to talk about this movie. So before that, we're going to need a well-prepared and pre-written summary that I'm sure Chelsea has ready for us right now. 
All right, so this is a magical movie about a scam artist and a manic pixie dream girl who just wants to see the pretty lights in the sky and run around crazy and experiencing everything for the first time. When you put it that way. She has magical hair. It's funny that this movie is called Tangled because her hair rarely seems to catch on anything that she doesn't intentionally like wrap it around. And it's pretty straight. Also, it's funny because the first time we watched it, I thought it had prehensile capabilities. And we watched it a second time and that is absolutely not true. No, she's just the fucking Indiana Jones of hair. (laughs) So, yeah. And that's Rapunzel. And the scumbag is Flynn Rider. <laughs> oh, poor Flynn slash Eugene. And um, he's a thief, and he screwed over his two friends, the Stabbington brothers. I'm going to tell you, if you know two people, if you work with two people called the Stabbington brothers, I do not suggest you screw them over. Yeah? Yeah. They're twi- We're going to give him a stern talking to. So... There's also Rapunzel's mother, Gothel. Who, Quote unquote mother. Yeah, who uh, we know kidnapped her as a baby for her magical hair. Uh, because if she sings to it, she can have everlasting youth. And okay, you know what? That, that just suddenly made me a little bit more sympathetic to Mother Gothel. I too want eternal youth. Yeah. And so she's kept Rapunzel in a tower. Rapunzel just really wants to see them pretty lights in the sky. So she takes the opportunity with the first dude she sees, uh, Flynn Rider, and uh, they take off together after she tricked her quote-unquote mom to uh, leave. And so the whole time she's trying to outrun her mom, who keeps trying to gaslight her to come back home. And Just, Just so we're clear, this is a story about abuse. Yeah. And I'm assuming that the tangle of the title refers to the tangled web of lies that Mother Gothel Gothel has placed her uh, daughter Rapunzel into. You know, I guess I'm pretty dumb. I didn't get that. (laughs) It's probably about the hair, too, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But again... Because hair can get tangled. But the hair never gets tangled. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. (laughs) So, uh, Flynn and Rapunzel fall in love. There's a little bit of, like, a snafu when Gothel gets in the way and manipulates them both. And Flynn almost dies, but his, uh, you know, bandit buddies break him out of jail. Not the Stabbington brothers. No, no. A different band of bandits. We'll get into them later. And um, also with the help of a horse friend, Maximus, who... Rapunzel actually befriended and... Grudging horse friend to Eugene slash Flynn. Sure. They they save Rapunzel from the evil mom, quote-unquote mom. Um, and Rapunzel gets back to the castle and meets up with her parents, and they all live happily ever after, apparently. Until they appear in Frozen, I guess? Yeah, that's probably a really traumatic experience for... Uh... Rapunzel and Eugene. But we'll cover that in a future episode. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to have to do Frozen at some point. But before we get tangled up into all the spinoffs that this movie and these characters have, I think we should probably head into the Delve. Welcome to the Delve, where we venture deep into the themes, scenes, and lore of Tangled. Now, guys, I've got a big question. I'm sure it's on everybody's mind who's like me. And I'm wondering, does this world exist in Kingdom Hearts 3? Because I haven't played it yet. I'm in the middle of Kingdom Hearts 2. I want to know if I'm going to Rapunzel's world in Kingdom Hearts 3. There's a third one? (laughs) There is, yes. 
It's been out for a few years, so people know, like, other people know the answer to this question, but I'm asking it here on the podcast, and I'm not looking it up. I do not play these games. (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you, I know the meme that the third one was never going to come out, so I don't think they ever should have released it. Just spin-off games to tie off the story. (laughs) That would have been pretty epic. Yeah. All right, all right, but seriously. So I realized that I forgot a pretty important character in the summary, and that's Pascal. How dare you skip my sweet green man? Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, any color. Yeah, I mean, that's true. But I think his natural state seems to be green. He's yes. a come a come a come a come a come a come a chameleon. And now we owe money to Boy, boy George. <laughs> Is that Boy George? I have no Culture idea. Culture Club? I do not know. Also, I believe it's Karma Chameleon, so it's probably okay that you uh, didn't sing the actual lyrics. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, Pascal is Rapunzel's little chameleon friend who is full of spite and mistrust. Who understands English and is completely 100% sentient. Well, yeah. Like a human. Much like Maximus. Maximus, we mentioned him in the summary, but didn't really t- like give good context for how he comes into the picture. Maximus is the god of horses, not unlike <laughs> Epona. Yes. yes. He's a member of the city guard, basically. He he considers himself to be one of the guards, just like all the humans. <laughs> Apparently all the other guards agree. He's like the captain of the guard's horse, basically. Yeah, sure. The captain of the guard's horse. Uh-huh. Right. And he becomes the captain of the guard in his own right later in the film. Yes. There's a specific scene where the heroes have been tracked to the Cuddly Duckling Tavern. <laughs> where they have made Snuggly their escape. Duckling. Snuggly Duckling. And the guards show up looking for the heroes, but aren't finding them. And Maximus shows up and the captain of the guards goes... <gasps> Maximus, right? Right. He holds back the guards. He's like, don't get in his way, right? Yeah. Maximus is the one who tracks them down because he's a super genius god. (laughs) He acts more like a tracking dog. Yes. He's the greatest hunts horse to ever live. Now, I got to say, though, guys, I'm very disappointed by the ending of this movie where we see Maximus as like the head of the guards. I really thought after getting in good with Flynn slash Eugene and Rapunzel, he was going to like go on a life of, I guess, freedom and like Robin Hood like resistance. But I guess when you're when you find out that your good buddy Rapunzel is actually a princess and that you're part of the status quo, you kind of get locked into these uh, power structures. It's too bad. Maximus could have been a good ally. So we should talk about Rapunzel's powers and how she got them, probably. I would like to talk about the uh, potential alternate reality where Maximus is a hero horse of the people. But sure, we can talk about Rapunzel. I guess she matters a little bit. Well, see, this matters to our discussion of Maximus. And and that will become clear in a moment. All right. As long as it all goes back to my buddy Max. Yeah, I want to like go off on a tangent and then bring us back to the Maximus discussion. So... Rapunzel's powers come from a magic flower that is basically like the fantasy version of what happens when a solar flare hits the earth. Oh, God. (laughs) Right. The sunflower. Instead of. But they don't call it that. No. Fucking with the electromagnetic field and all that. It just gives us a magical flower, you know. Oh, solar radiation. So cool, guys. Hype. It makes you young. That's why we're destroying (laughs) the ozone layer so that all that good magic energy can, like, instill our bodies with awesome powers, right? As proven by Thundar the Barbarian. Thank you. Somebody has finally had the courage to say it. All we'd have to do is raise our hands and we can do all kinds of magic. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) It's true, you don't even have to sing. With Rapunzel, you gotta sing. That's right. 
Just lift up your hands. Verbal components. I mean, yeah, you want a combination of verbal and somatic spells so that you can cast magic in different circumstances. And in the Fort Salem show, you have to sing if you're a witch. It's true. It's tough. But this golden flower, not sunflower. No. It's a golden lily, basically. It looks kind of like a lily. We could call it a solar flower. Sun lily. Solar, solar flower. flower. Yeah. There you go. Oh, that's actually really good. Yeah. It's like solar power, but you know. Oh, I thought yeah. you were doing a play on solar flare, which I Me just too. said. Well, yes, but also solar power. Okay. Yeah, it is. Solar flower. So Mother Gothel is a witch who lives in the woods. She's kind of on the periphery of society. That's She's right. being hunted down by the people. We don't really know that backstory, so that would be kind of interesting. I assume it's because she is a woman with some amount of power and autonomy. Cannibalism. <laughs> uh, probably the former, yeah. But, um, but then later also a child thief. So. She oh. finds the flower. She figures out that she can sing to it to activate its magical powers, which brings youth back to her body. And so she becomes like a young woman again. And she's trying to hide the flower for herself. And everybody else in the... Oh, that's what they were doing. Everybody else in the kingdom is out looking for the flower because everybody saw that solar flare hit the earth. Who can blame them? Um, she's trying to get away. She accidentally knocks over the basket she was using to cover the flower and it's revealed. And so there's this legend that the flower can heal anything, right? And the queen is ill and she's with child. So... They get the flower, they bring it back to the queen, they put it in a potion. She drinks it, she's healed, the baby's born. Magic baby. Yep. Boom. That's how you get a magic baby. That's right. It's science. Her hair is blonde and it has magical healing powers. Because of the the solar flower. Solar hair. Yeah. That is a solar flare. (laughs) So, uh... Mother Gothel sneaks in to the castle after the baby's born, and she tries to cut a lock of the hair off to keep for herself, comes to find out that if the hair is cut, it loses its healing powers and turns brown. Mm Mm-hmm. So blonde people are magical. I get it. The implications of this movie are wild. I know. Uh, So... Mother Gothel just decides to abduct the child at that point so she can keep the hair's powers for herself. Like you do. With a spell? Or with just, like, grabbing the baby and running really fast out of the castle? Yeah, the latter. Oh, yes. It's a type of magic. (laughs) It's the magic of identifying inattentive parents. Ah, We actually don't see her mother using magic except... To leech off of Rapunzel. <laughs> yeah, that's why. Oh, I like the Calypso twins from <laughs> Borderland Three. Oh yeah, that's why I wasn't sure if she was actually a witch. However, she did know if you sing to the flower, it heals you, which makes me think there's probably been other flowers in the past. Yeah, every time there's a solar radiation storm. Yeah, that's a good point, Jack. So Rapunzel's powers include. Healing anything with her hair, because she can heal wounds as well. We find out later in the movie when she heals Flynn. And she can even heal emotional wounds, which we will find out. Uh, her own. I guess. Yay. <laughs> I think that comes with time and, and friendship. But and magic. And friendship is a form of magic. also seems to have a preternatural ability to charm people and animals. Mm-hmm. And that's where we Definitely come- animals back to Maximus uh, because she just basically talks him into not going after Flynn and becoming their friends. I mean, she's a Disney princess. The power of speaking to animals is just part of her like standard power set. Whether or not there was a magic flower or hair or anything, she would have had that ability by birthright. It's true. Or it could be like a charming innocence and trusting in the good of the people around you also. But it could be magic. It could be magic. Now, of course, this also brings up the question again. Is Rapunzel going to be the eighth princess in Kingdom Hearts who is necessary to unlock (laughs) Kingdom Hearts? Maybe. Keyblade Master. (laughs) 
Conveniently, she is 18 in the movie, but she acts like a 12-year-old, 14-year-old. I mean, let's give her the benefit of the doubt. She has been locked in a tower her whole life with no exposure to anybody except for her gaslighting, abusive mother figure. All right, I guess we got to get into it. Now, that being said, she's probably not in a position to make good judgment calls about life partners at this point in her development. No, she falls for the first dude she meets. Literally. He's a good one. He's not bad, but still. Lucky for her, he has a heart of gold, but if not, sheesh. <laughs> yeah, um, I know. She would have gone from one abusive relationship to another. So we mentioned she's been kept prisoner, basically, in the tower. She could have left after she reached a certain age and she was strong enough to climb down via hair. (laughs) Which we see that she, yes, could have done that. but, But she did not leave until she turned 18, partly because she was so brainwashed by her manipulative mother into staying in the tower. Her mother was gaslighting her for years. That's um, right. Basically lying to her about the outside world, tearing down Rapunzel's self-confidence, and destroying Rapunzel's ability to trust herself and her connection to what she does know. That's right. And creating this version of the world where anybody she meets other than Mother Gothel will take advantage of her, rob her, murder her, just that nobody else in the entire world will ever not try to take advantage of her except me, your loving mother. And she keeps saying mother knows best. That's right. And in the song about that... Mother Knows Best, I believe, is I'm guessing is the title. Actually, I don't actually know. It's the most repeated line in the song, at any rate. Um, She keeps blowing out all the candles in the tower, so it's like a symbolic thing of her keeping Rapunzel in the dark. That's right. Rapunzel keeps trying to go behind her mother in the song, lighting all the lights, and no matter what she does to try to find the truth or keep the lights on, her mother comes behind her and keeps blowing out all the candles. And so it's a metaphor for their relationship. Yes. And like you were saying, all along, Rapunzel basically had the ability to leave the tower by the use of her own hair and the winch and pulley system that uh, they've devised. But I made the comparison to Rapunzel and an elephant with a rope tied around its leg. If you, you know... If you train an elephant by uh, tying it to a post with a rope around its leg, after a certain amount of time, you don't need the post anymore. You just need the rope. Yes, the elephant will feel it around its leg and won't even try to get away. So Rapunzel just doesn't even... like. She acknowledges her captivity, but accepts the illusion that Mother Gothel has created because it's all she knows. Yes, she's been effectively brainwashed and become codependent on Mother Gothel. For approval, for sustenance, she depends on her for emotional support, which she barely gets. Mother Gothel harangues her that she's always like just mumbling and doesn't even listen to Rapunzel most of the time when she's talking. She keeps bringing it back to herself. So Mother Gothel is also an extreme narcissist. Everything has to be about her. And like her feelings, how Rapunzel makes her feel, she uses emotional blackmail to keep Rapunzel under control as well. It's true. She is definitely domineering the way Rapunzel is supposed to be thinking. And when Rapunzel is trying to bring up the idea that like, hey, I think the lights might be related to me. Right. She gets shut down pretty hard. Oh, yeah. And these we joked about this before, but these just to say it explicitly here these are the floating lights in the sky that rapunzel noticed she sees once a year around her birthday so she wonders if they might be for her it's true and this is a two-part conversation she has with gothel because gothel shuts it down the first time in between flynn rider comes up Rapunzel uh, commits severe head trauma. (laughs) Oh, yes. She beats him in the skull multiple times with a frying pan. The iron skillet. 
Who knew? It's the best weapon there is. <laughs> it's true. That's how you know if you've been sent into a Disney setting. If your lethal weapons never hurt somebody, but a frying pan does, there's something to that. <laughs> yeah. So Flynn Rider, he's dying in her closet. And just blood, just blood pouring out of the dresser. Gallons. Just so many gallons of blood. Uh... Gothel comes up and Rapunzel's like, hey, I was able to defend myself. Maybe I can live outside this tower that my mom says is terrifying, right? Right. right. And then Gothel comes and Rapunzel's like, hey, there's a development. Maybe I can. And then Gothel cuts her off and is like, hey, I thought we dropped the idea of you leaving. We yeah. already talked. We about agreed. It. We together collaboratively agreed yes. that you are a dumb idiot who couldn't ever survive without me. Yes. We both agreed to this. And that's when the years of abuse backfire because Rapunzel got that grain of doubt. And she decides not to tell Gothel about Flynn Rider in that moment, yeah. which is the first act of rebellion. Yes, it only takes one. Yes. <laughs> Rebellion is a gateway drug. Yes. <laughs> Bloodshed and rebellion. So at this point, I'd like to suggest a YouTube video for our listeners to watch after you've finished the episode here. It's by a channel called Cinema Therapy, and it identifies the types of abuse and gaslighting that Mother Gothel commits throughout the movie. We specifically didn't watch it before we we recorded this just because we didn't want it to influence us. But but this is a great channel. Yeah. So once again, that's Cinema Therapy. Really good analysis of film psychology from a professional therapist. Great channel. Chelsea and I really enjoy it. Yeah. And yeah, like she said, we didn't watch it for this before this episode, but we've watched their other stuff and it's all great. Mm-hmm. So basically, Mother Gothel is an emotional vampire for Rapunzel's magic and her emotional and psychological energy and self-confidence. <laughs> but yeah, like Jack mentioned, she had that seed of doubt and the desire to go see the lights was so strong and to see if her hypothesis was correct that they might be for her. It overrode her fear and self-doubt that her mother figure tried to instill in her. Yeah, but eventually the escape happens. That's right. Jail broken. Yeah. Right? Tower break. But a lot of the innocence that came from her tower, like I briefly mentioned before, actually is one of her greatest strengths in finding allies throughout the film. Yes, that's right. Let's talk about it. Yes, we already touched on how it affects animals like Maximus, right? Maximus, who is out to catch Flynn Rider, who we as the audience know is named Eugene as well. But Maximus is hunting Flynn Rider. And it's pretty much his, you know, do it or die goal at this point. That's right. Rapunzel talks him out of it, at least for a day. But Maximus quickly sort of abandons that idea because he sees that their cause is somewhat worthy of sympathy yeah, yeah. maximus <laughs> maximus uh, god of horses that he is takes pity on rapunzel and by extension flynn who is kind of serving as her retainer and helps them to follow through with rapunzel's life goal yeah he's seeing even... the stars that are actually lanterns it's true during their journey to go to the castle and the capital that surrounds it to see the lights, they are pursued also by the the guard, the city guards mm -hmm. who are still out in the forest looking for them. The and the Stabbington brothers. The Stabbington brothers and Mother Gothel, who figures out that Rapunzel has escaped. Yeah. Mother Gothel teams up with the Stabbington brothers, manipulating them as well, telling them about Rapunzel's ability and kind of getting them to see that they could get revenge on Flynn, who backstabbed them. But then she's just setting up the Stabbington brothers to double-cross them to get back in good with Rapunzel by creating another illusion that 
She saved Flynn her. slash Eugene was all along planning to betray her, be, or to betray Rapunzel, and that the Stabbington brothers are this terrible threat to her, which, granted, that part is true, because they were but a bad, only, a major threat to Rapunzel. But only because Mother Gothel set them on that path. Sure. And then, she, yeah, she sets up this illusion that she saves Rapunzel, this goes back to the internal struggle that Rapunzel's been going through the whole time, and it is because of this emotional blackmail that uh, Mother Gothel has been heaping on Rapunzel her entire life. So she's struggling with hurting her mother the whole time and not thinking of her own happiness or well-being. Or Right. There's, there's a scene where Rapunzel is basically jumping back and forth between being so thrilled to be out of the tower and just fretting that her mother is going to, you know, whatever is going to happen. Like, just back and forth, like, rapidly for, like, 30 seconds of like, I'm so happy to be free. Oh, I'm so worried about my mom. Oh, this is wonderful. Oh, God, I have to go back. But this illusion later in the movie and this emotional blackmail eventually wins out and she does return with Mother Gothel to the tower. But after having been in the capital, seeing the lights, seeing that she conveniently had what she had painted all over her house actually had all these sun symbols in it from her hometown. Yes, and also realizing that Rapunzel has memory from her own birth when she saw, or like maybe like her first like days in her crib where she had this sun symbol painted over her uh, head that she painted herself in the tower as an, like she saw this as an infant and has like memory of like in her own infancy which is wild yeah i guess that's part of the disney princess magic right and she confronts mother gothel like oh i'm the lost princess and mother gothel doesn't play it off very well the illusion is broken which is symbolized not only by their conversation but also when they're struggling and rapunzel's trying to escape a mirror breaks and shatters and casts all these grotesque images of Mother Gothel in all the shattered pieces. Ah, the broken mirror. Yeah. Filmmaker's favorite symbol since a train going into a tunnel. <laughs> that know. one sucks, guys, just so you know. Yeah, <laughs> I get it. So it's the illusion of being broken, basically. Now, that actually makes me uh, want to take a step back and go back to Jack's point about Rapunzel's ability to like connect with say Maximus but Rapunzel also has this amazing ability to bring out the best in people as we yes. see with the thugs quote unquote at the snuggly duckling who are you know a rough and tumble lot we, we see like they're admitted rule breakers scoff laws etc etc but when Rapunzel says I have a dream to go see these lanterns don't any of you have a dream as well? And this is one of the main themes of the movie. That's right. Every person in this tavern, and this is one of my favorite scenes of the entire movie. Definitely. These rough and tumble thugs all admit to their life's passion. Some of them want, they all want to be artists or they want to be loved. They want to find fulfillment outside of their chosen vocation of Criminality, in their case, and banditry, all legitimate jobs. If if being a capitalist oil baron is a ambition that we consider to be a legitimate form of work, then banditry is no different, right? One begats the other. Yeah. Exactly. One is uh, more societally approved by <laughs> capitalists and one isn't. I was going to say one is a horrendous offense against morality and decency and the other is banditry. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I loved how all of these thugs, as you put it, which I think just as a general catch-all term is easy. That is what they are called in the credits of the movie. Okay. I love how... Their dreams, I think, all involve some type of creativity. Or relationship fulfillment. One of them just wants to find a partner. That's true. And to be loved by that partner. That's true. And to mutually love them back. I mean, but what more laudable 
go is there so mm-hmm. it's basically teaching kids like don't judge a book by its cover love it you know everybody can have that emotional range or depth or capacity for creativity within and so besides the guy that wants to find love everybody else like wants to do something creative yeah. which is pretty cool we've got I, the mime the pianist the additional guy, people the guy that wants to be a cook like a chef that's right the guy that wants to be an interior decorator they are expressive fully formed people with complex lives yeah and i like that because it fits in with my worldview <laughs> nice. that everybody has the capacity to be creative in one form or another there are many different ways that can manifest and Maybe the guy who's looking for love is a creative lover. And that yeah. Yes. And that's partly what we find fulfilling about life is finding that thing that you can have as your creative outlet. I love it. Yeah. And I like that they included that in this movie. That definitely earns it some points. We'll get to that later, but yeah. That's right. <laughs> oh, so- and you know, there's also kind of like some love in this movie and stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and just to, real quick before we move on, just to point out, it is through that connection that Rapunzel makes with the patrons of the Snuggly Duckling Tavern that saves her and Eugene in the end because the thugs are the ones who come back and help fight off the guards who have not necessarily wrongfully imprisoned Eugene slash Flynn. But, I mean, we kind of know that... He's on this reform path. Yeah. And he deserves a second chance, I guess. Yeah. Because he's like in it. love. Yeah. Makes that's all it takes. And this is a Disney movie. And okay, I mean, what's his worst crime? I ask you, what is his worst crime? Stealing a crown. From his future mother-in-law. From his future mother-in-law. <laughs> betraying two guys named the Stabbington Brothers. I mean, again, not to cast aspersion on them slash Ron Perlman, who plays the Stabbington Brothers. I would never do that. No. One of my personal heroes, Ron Perlman. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Flynn's reformable. It's true. It's true. And uh, we are aware that the crime for which they have committed is uh, the punishment is death. Right. Capital death. punishment, which I'm not a fan of. No, it's pretty. It's it's pretty lame. Yeah. Yeah. But when Flynn betrays the Stabbington brothers, leaving them to the guards, probably thinks they're going to either have to fight their way out or die. Yeah. So, but, you know, he's in love. He's got a dream. That's right. Reform. And self-preservation is totally a thing. (laughs) But we find out whether that we find out early on or not about early on. We find out throughout the course of the movie that Flynn is all about posturing. He's his name. His real name is Eugene. He took he took the name Flynn Rider from like a legendary highwayman or something like or no, not even that. Like just a character from a book that he read that he really liked. And he's like, oh, it sounds cool. Yeah. It was a rich guy who fought bad guys. Oh, God. Oh, Flynn's ambitions. I'm having a real hard time with Flynn's ambitions. Well, also the whole trope that. He is kind of a no good bastard with a heart of gold who can be reformed, sets up really toxic expectations for young people. Good. Yeah. Depending on how it's framed. But I also believe like people, some people deserve second chances, I guess. So it's, it's kind of a nuanced, complex situation we've got here. Yeah. And Rapunzel has autonomy. She is able to, you know... Uh, she goes through a complex suite of emotions throughout the film and like tests different uh, hypotheses about people. Yeah. Yeah. I should say it might come as a surprise, might not, but I think Flynn Rider is the most husbandoed Disney male character. Really? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. He's very popular. Very popular with the ladies, the smolder, and just anyone who's attracted to men, I suppose. Right. Yes. It's the smolder. The smolder is real, I have to say. He tries to turn it on Rapunzel, and she seems to be immune, or at least is feigning immunity. Well, she's got (laughs) Disney princess uh, protection 
like uh, <laughs> it's true like high will saves well right. she starts really connecting to him when the facade falls away True. And the smolder is like peak facade. <laughs> yes, yeah. that's a great point. Yeah, it, he shares his true name, and I think she starts to open up to him. Yeah. I mean, that is a very intimate moment for him. Yeah. To kind of like lay bare his whole persona. It's true. When she says that she likes Eugene a lot more than Flynn Rider, he says you'd be the first. Oh. Yeah. Okay, I'm back on Flynn's side mostly. Mm-hmm. I like, I'm like... 60 to 70% pro Eugene. If you think about the wanting to model himself after a rich guy who fights bad people, right? Yeah. The aspect of being rich that he really liked was the freedom that came with it. He mentioned going anywhere that he wanted to go to. And for somebody who grew up in poverty in the lower classes, it really makes sense. Yes. Maybe we should talk about some class struggle. Oh, my God. I thought we already were. That was my secret. We were talking about class struggle the whole time. So that ties back to Maximus being head of the guard. It does. It really does. Because Maximus, again, could have been a great ally. I don't know that he reforms the guards necessarily. They say in the epilogue narration that crime in the kingdom basically disappears under Maximus. So there's a lot of there's a lot we can infer from this. Is this because everyone's needs are taken care of? Or is it because the populace is living in fear? That sounds more to me like the people who wrote this movie are perpetuating the dominant narrative that, you know, just more police presence will reduce crime. Or that tough on crime laws will reduce crime rather than send it into just the deeper reaches of Or escalate violent crime. Yes. Well, hold on now. Because Maximus went against the guard to help Eugene and Rapunzel, right? And, you know, that wasn't lawful. Who did he get the help of to save Eugene but the thug criminals in the beginning? That's a good point. Who do we see all living out their dreams at the end? No longer criminals, assumedly. They were hired as pianists. They were hired as interior designers. So you're saying maybe they redirected funding to fund the arts and correct for maybe income disparities between all of the members of their subjects. And maybe uh, which would reduce crime, statistically speaking. This, yeah. They could have actually created a legitimate utopian society where everyone's needs were taken care of. And the need for crime disappeared as economic class dispersed. Maybe uh, the king, you know, maybe the royalty is abolished or the monarchy is abolished. Now, the king and queen. In but I this, don't think so. I, you know, it reminds me of the Star Wars prequels. <laughs> okay. Where the, the line where, well, that sounds an awful lot like a dictatorship to me. Well, if it works, right? (laughs) Because the king and queen in this are definitely coded as extremely compassionate heroes of the people. Very true. Yes. People, I mean, okay, here's how much ostensibly the people love the king and queen. Yeah. They participate in this lantern ceremony. The yearly ritual. Seemingly of their own volition. Yeah. Everybody there, seems to be mourning the loss of the princess. I mean, that's certainly the narrative that we get. Yes. And we are now, okay, this is important to note because we are getting this from the perspective of Flynn and Rapunzel, who are the narrators. Yes. And Flynn is, already has these ambitions for being in a position of great wealth and power. He loves these adventure fantasy novels, so... They could be unreliable narrators. That's true. However, we need the Gothel cut. 
It's true. <laughs> Rapunzel has been trained to be afraid of people her whole life and mistrusting of everything around her. True. If she seems she's to break that pretty of, quickly. Yeah, yeah if she, she does seem to break that during her adventure, though. It's true. But if she was seeing a lot of medieval corruption amongst the townsfolk, she'd probably have a really sharp eye for it. That could be true. Not that she would know what systematic oppression looks like. <laughs> I just think that they're... Well, she's lived it. In a yeah, way. it's true. You're <laughs> right. both kind of romantic, so they might be prone to uh, fantasize and romanticize their situation and the status of the people in their kingdom a bit for and embellish it for their story to make them look like the heroes. So it's the people in power who are giving us this narrative, you guys. It's a fair point. It's a very fair point. Yeah. So how do we know what the true history of this realm is? I, I do want to yeah. give Jack's point credit that the thugs, again, for lack of a better word, they're I guess they're self-identified as thugs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> are given positions and allowed to express their artistic drives and everything in the kingdom following the return of Rapunzel. So, if those in power are to be trusted, exactly, it's true. And if they are to be trusted, there's a scene where Rapunzel starts a party in the town square, where everyone is dancing. There are musicians playing music. The whole day until nighttime. That's right. And the, I'm just saying, there. this is a society where at the drop of a hat, enough citizens in the town square will just party the entire day. Yeah. When the opportunity arises. That's right. true. That's fair. Yeah. You know, I had work, but I don't have to work. Yeah. There's a party here. My <laughs> needs are taken care of for. I can work when I need to. Everything gets done, you know. Within a fair amount of time, I'm not under any stress or duress from somebody, you know, hounding me for rent or whatever. No. Everything's going to be fine. Maybe this is truly an idyllic kingdom where the monarchy is more symbolic or even beneficent. Yeah. Yeah, could be. I, I was going to say stranger things have happened, but have they? I guess we'll never know until Disney decides to do the live action remake of from Gothel's perspective. <laughs> it's true. Oh, I, man, that's going to be wild. That could happen. Oh, <laughs> you know, I don't know if this one is going to get it. Don't they mostly do that for the slightly older, more problematic films? I mean, over time, this one's going to get older. Yeah. And maybe problematic. That's how linear time works. Yeah, you're right. I mean, no, so let's... You live in linear time? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. Let's talk a little bit about this, though. I think this is an excellent thing to bring up. The representation of abuse and similar themes in this movie, how do we think they're handled? The gaslighting, I'm re that's what I'm referring to, that type of thing. I, mean, I, I think that it, they do a pretty good job of representing how people exert control over people they know. Yeah. Through these types of techniques. Love bombing. Yes. Gaslighting. Um, and, you know, and love bombing is a technique that in, often involves breaking somebody down by saying, like, oh, the rest of the world might say this about you. And right. then, like, saying something awful about them. But I either see through that or I love you regardless. It's using lies and a manufactured version of the truth to benefit the narcissist who's in control. And um, emotional blackmail is part of this equation as well, which we mentioned. Yes. I, I felt like the way in which she was weaponizing all of these forms of emotional and psychological abuse seemed pretty accurate. I got the impression that the writers or the creative team, some of them must have experienced this themselves so they could add that verisimilitude to it, or they talk to people who have experienced it. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they had consultants to try to handle this accurately. I was going to say sensitively, but accurately to, yeah. to portray these types of gaslighting and other psychological abuse techniques. And how difficult it is or can be to extricate oneself from a toxic relationship like this and how 
emotionally difficult it is to go through that labor of trying to think about the relationship kind of from an outside perspective to get a more accurate read on what's going on. It can be very difficult. Yeah. So I think overall, the movie does a pretty good job of presenting these themes in a believable way. I think so. But I do like how they showed that with the help of friends, it can make the work of extricating yourself that much easier. True. Good point. Mm-hmm. You need that support network around you to help give you the strength as you're kind of building your own confidence back up. All right, guys. Well, I think this is the perfect time to head into the smithy. Welcome to the Smithy, where we forge a rating for this movie after we each share an epic moment or feature from the film. Jack, do you want to tell us your epic moment or feature and then give us your rating from 1 to 10 frying pans? (laughs) Oh, yes. That's great. (laughs) Well, thank you for asking. My favorite moment or feature is probably one of the songs. I just, I, I think it's called... I see the light, or at last I see the light. It's the oh, love yeah. song when they're on the Aww. boat and all the lanterns are going through the air. Oh, that was the part where I was trying not to cry. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's because Eugene finally like feels like he has a direction in life. He's like, and it's the moment where they're realizing what they both want and it's each other. I thought that was really Aww. sweet. Yeah, uh, it's just visually it's really good. The song is really nice. The part of the movie is very nice. And they're two, you know, lost people who find each other, right? It's just a very good moment. I like the way you put that. Yeah. That is nice. And, you know, Gothel was putting out the candles. This is the, when they're together, all the lights show up. Boom. Oh, it shines their truth. Yes, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So I just thought that was a really great scene. And uh, the movie as a whole, I'm going to say... It just makes me feel good. This is a real feel-good kind of movie. You know, you put it on, and there are troubling parts of this film, but it handles it in a very positive way, I feel. And uh, it's funny, it's cute, and, you know, the whole setting is just pleasant to look at visually. The art style, the color scheme, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. This is a gorgeous movie. Rapunzel paints with a lineless art style, which is cool. I guess all that vibe, I'm probably, you know what? I'm going to give it a 10 frying pan. Whoa. Wow. I've seen this movie a good number of times, and it's a movie that I already want to watch again. And I think that's a that's a 10. That's a good metric. Yeah. That's a 10. When people ask me about movies, I really like this is one that might come to my mind. You know what I'm saying? Nice. I, I think I was fine with the pacing. And I, I'm fine with the messages until linear time proves that they're problematic. <laughs> well said. Yes. How about you, Chelsea? What's your epic moment or feature and then your rating from 1 to 10 frying pans? Well, see, that's just the crux of it right there. My epic feature is the Iron Skillet. Nice. Itself. Oh, man. Nice. The Excalibur of cookware. (laughs) Apparently. Excookaber, as it were. Oh. It has the power to automatically knock out whoever you hit it with. (laughs) Except for yourself, because Rapunzel does hit herself with it. Well, she taps herself with the edge. She almost knocks herself out. She has to shake her head a little bit and bring herself back, too. So it was close. A close call. But um, if you hit them with the flat of the pan, it's just donezo. Dong. <laughs> That's the sound it makes. Yes. Clang. So she wields it that way. It's funny because she knocks Flynn out like maybe three times. Oh, He's just kind of dead for a while. And, but um, It's not only emotional trauma in this film. She like mm. threatens when he... Says that he's going to take her back to the tower. She's like, don't make me use this. And she holds the frying pan up to him. Um, and then he's like, okay, okay. <laughs> like, he knows. 
Uh, later, she tosses him the frying pan when they're trying to get away from the city guard. And every person he hits it with immediately gets knocked out. <laughs> He's just like, I got to get me one of these things. Yeah, <laughs> that was great. I know. Um, and at the end of the movie, Maximus has refitted all of the city guardsmen with their own skillet, iron skillet as their main weapon uh, because it's so powerful. So that's so my, it becomes a symbol of terror. It, that's my epic feature. Maybe that's why there's no crime. Nobody wants to get hit with the, one of those things. Yeah. Oh, God. The pan is mightier than the sword. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, nice. Yes. <laughs> so I agree with Jack on all counts. I'm going to give it a 9 out of 10 just for that wiggle room of, like, probably some problematic aspects of their relationship that I haven't thought deeply enough <laughs> about mm. yet to really put my finger on. Yeah. But, Fair. Uh, you know, it's I'm like porn. You know it when you see it. <laughs> I'm talking about <laughs> Flynn and Rapunzel, of course. Like, there's some problems there that I think are some kind of rom-com tropes. But other than that, I think it's a a nice movie that kind of like shows the importance of friendship and self-confidence and love. So I think it's good. So nine out of 10 iron skillets. All right. Or frying pans. But what about you, Jamie? What is your epic moment or feature and your rating out of one to 10 frying pans? Yes. Tell us, Jamie. Well, I'm glad you guys asked. You know, we've already talked about my, epic moment slash feature a lot so i won't take too much time it's the patrons of the snuggly duckling yeah i love those guys and I, the name of their hangout and then the yeah, name of their hangout the fact that they're these again these fully fleshed out characters with backstories and drives and emotional depth i love it it's i guess it's a trope that i really enjoy the uh the rough fella or lady with the heart of gold. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I always uh, take to that old saying about, you know, that line from uh, the Fellowship of the Ring that always stood out to me. You, uh, I suppose a, whatever it is, I suppose an agent of the enemy would look fair, but feel foul. But you, <laughs> and then Aragorn responds, ah, and I look foul, but feel fair, huh? And I was like, yeah, I like yeah, that. Yeah. As, as a guy with a lot of tattoos and a shaved head and everything, like, I get it. I totally get it. I, I feel a great sense of camaraderie with the patrons of the Snuggly Duckling Tavern. So that is my epic moment and or feature. Because it's kind of both. I mean, just these guys as a whole. And then also, like, their song is outstanding. They're pretty it. good. Yeah. As far as the rating, man, you guys uh, went high. I got to go high, too. I, I can't be disparaging this movie after after you guys did that. I'm going to go ahead and not quite give it the perfect rating. Mm -hmm. I, I like to withhold my perfect rating for, for movies that I really could like watch again and again and again. You're so withholding. With <laughs> <laughs> Damn. And this is a movie I could just watch every day. But I could definitely watch it a few more times and, and get plenty of enjoyment out of it. So I will give it an 8 out of 10 frying pans. I so really like it. There's a few moments that lull for me. But overall, I like most of the messages, I'm with Chelsea. There's a few things where I have my concerns about how Rapunzel might could potentially be going in from one toxic relationship to another, but the and, and how the movie kind of whitewashes certain aspects of the uh, of the world. But overall, really enjoyed it. Really had a fun time. This is my second time watching it. Still enjoyed it quite a bit. Got more out of it this time, too. So, yeah, 8 out of 10 frying pans. Nice. Solid. Real solid. Well, that'll pretty much do it for us here at Swords and Satire. We hope you had a good time getting deep into this movie with us. If you did, maybe consider giving us a review on your favorite podcasting app so that other people can find out about our show. And if you really enjoyed it and you'd like to become a new patron for us as well, 
you could head over to patreon.com slash swords and satire to join our patron community you also get perks with that guys you get to vote each month on a movie that we watch and at other different tiers you'll get different types of exclusive content like outtake episodes and our rewriting history episodes and other great perks so head on over there and check it out it's how we keep the torches lit here too so we really appreciate it definitely and if you have magical glowing hair with healing properties why not go outside and sing a song about the quality of swords and satire when your hair begins to glow, no one in the world will have room for doubt that our show must be of high quality and stature, thanks to your magic hair of truth. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well said. And thanks, everybody, for listening. We really appreciate it. And until next time, Hail Crom! <laughs> hair. Hair. hair hair there was hair in this hair. movie